Well, thank you, Mike. And thank you, Brentwood Campus. It is great to be back with you. It's been a while, uh, but I want to bring you greetings from what we now call the South Region of Brentwood Campuses. That is the church at Station Hill, the church at West Franklin, and the church at Nolensville. Uh, All of our campuses are grateful to get to be a part of what God is doing on the front lines in their own community, but we're also grateful to be a part of this great big family of believers that we call Brentwood Baptist Church. And so, as Mike was telling you a little bit about the origin story of the church at Station Hill, I want to go back there because today our topic is everybody on a mission. And this has been an opportunity of a lifetime for me to have a front row seat to people finding their mission, their purpose in the kingdom of God. And so in 2001, we moved to Middle Tennessee, my wife, Tanya, and I, and we had one child at the time, our daughter, Eliza. And so I accepted the role, as Mike mentioned in the video, of serving as the middle school minister at the Brentwood campus. And so at the time, we were trying to find a place to live, and we found a starter home at the very edge of Southern Williamson County. At the time, we were in the city limits of Spring Hill. We had a Thompson Station address, but we were given a Franklin telephone number. And so as the county was growing rapidly, we were trying to figure out what to do with this growing community, and we found a home there. Now, a lot of you at this campus thought at that point, when I said Spring Hill, I had moved to North Alabama, back to where I had come from, because it felt so far south. But as you know, that community began to grow rapidly. At the same time, our church here at this campus was continuing to grow. And so as we purchased a home there, as we got settled and began to live life there, we noticed that every year the traffic got worse and worse. And so as I was commuting and driving up to the Brentwood campus and serving here, I was frustrated. But my wife, well, she saw an opportunity. And so she began a ladies Bible study for all of these families that were streaming into our community at that time. And so as that Bible study developed and grew, we wanted to invite the children and the husbands, the whole families to join us at the Brentwood campus. And we kept getting the same story. It's too far. It's really big. And I just don't know if I'd fit in there. And so I will never forget the time that my wife and I were sitting on our back patio. It was just one of those conversations that's unforgettable. And so during that time, my wife finally looked at me and she has this gift. This is one of the ways that God has wired her to be on mission because she can just cut clearly through all of the fog and say something powerful. She looked at me and said, Jay, if we don't bring the church to them, they're never going to come looking for us. And so from that moment forward, it was as if God started bringing together all of the pieces that eventually would become our first regional campus. We were trying to figure out as a church how we'd reach more people beyond Concord Road if we had multiple locations. And it seemed that this growing community was an ideal place to launch that first campus. There were many other families like us who loved Brentwood Baptist Church and who were living in the Thompson Station Spring Hill area trying to figure out how to reach their neighbors as well. And we began to network and meet with them almost weekly. And they said, if you feel called to do this, we want to do it with you. And then, of course, that first group of people began to serve the community and the leaders there. And so we found favor right away and we were able to secure a place to meet first at Heritage Middle School and then across the street. And after that, all of the pieces just continued to fall in place. And so fast forward now 10 years Yeah, we were launched out over 10 years ago from this campus. And now we have several additional campuses as well. But in those 10 years, we have seen God do an incredible work. 
The church at Station Hill now has over 1,200 members. We've celebrated over 450 baptisms during those 10 years. We've seen over 50 children come home into loving families through adoption, through fostering, through safe families and programs like Hope's Bridge. We've been able to launch our own congregation out of the church at Station Hill. Some of our members going to the College Grove Chapel Hill area to start Grove Hill Church, which is thriving now into their third year of existence. And we've been able to send some of our members to serve all over the world. And so I share those things not to brag on us, but to say thank you for your support and your prayers. And most importantly, to point out the truth that when believers decide to live on mission in their own neighborhood and in their own community, when God brings around them other believers, that what the New Testament says is true, that Jesus Christ fills all things in every way. And so when people discover their gifts, they utilize those gifts and they use them to reach out to their neighbors, God moves in a powerful way. And so as we think about the challenge that Mike has laid down for us, Every day, everybody in a group and everybody on mission, we point to the truth of scriptures to see the blueprint for how New Testament churches are birthed and how they grow and how they continue to advance the ministry and the mission of the gospel. So today, we're gonna look at a passage from Ephesians chapter four that tells us how healthy and multiplying churches are made and how they grow. So wherever you're at, if you're in your living room, in front of your computer, will you take your copy of God's word with me, turn to Ephesians chapter four, and there in your home or your living room, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 16. And he, being Jesus, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, Let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by proper working of each individual part. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Pray with me today. Lord Jesus, we thank you We thank you for your word that gives us the blueprint on how we engage in the mission as your people together. So God, today, as we look at the beauty of the unity and diversity that exists in your church, I pray that we would all find our role that you've called us to play. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, one of the things that's so compelling about the book of Ephesians is that Paul was writing to a young, struggling church that felt overwhelmed by the culture that they were in. You see, the city of Ephesus was sophisticated, it was wealthy, it was pagan. 
It was the gateway to Asia during that period of the Roman Empire. And so it was important that the church there take hold and it take root, that it would grow in a healthy way. And so Paul spends the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians reminding the church, building them up and encouraging them about the riches that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then when it comes to chapter four, Paul doesn't turn immediately to them as individual Christians. Instead, he turns to them collectively as a community of believers on mission. Last week, our Avenue South pastor, Aaron Bryant, talked to you about what that looks like, that as believers, we need to be in biblical community with one another. And when these communities begin to move and serve and and love one another and love their neighbors well, God works in a powerful way. And so Paul begins chapter four of Ephesians with this word, therefore, And anytime we see that word, as I teach our congregants at Station Hill, anytime we see therefore, we have to ask, what's that therefore? Therefore. And so it causes us to look back. And what Paul is doing, he's drawing back on the first three chapters that really lay out the gospel for us. In chapter two, Paul reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, it says, being rich in mercy, made us alive because of his grace in Christ Jesus. And so it's by grace we're saved through faith, Paul tells us. It's the heart of the gospel. And because of that, Paul tells us not only are we saved from our sin, but we're saved to something that God wants to do in and through us. It says in verse 10 of chapter two, for we are his workmanship a word that literally means his work of art. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so that's part of why it's so important for every believer to find their gift, to find their role in the kingdom, because God knows in advance what he's going to call us to do. You see, it wasn't an accident that my wife and I ended up landing in the community of Thompson Station in Spring Hill. We didn't know, but God knew. And in the same way, the work that God is doing in your heart and in your life right now is preparing you for what he has next. And therefore, you need to celebrate that and you need to live that out in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Part of the beauty of what Paul is telling us, if we go back to the first verse here in chapter four, is that in a healthy and multiplying church where everybody is on mission, everybody is united by the Father, spirit and the son. And so Paul talks about this fact that he is a prisoner for the Lord and he urges the church to live a life worthy of the calling that they've received. Now this word calling is sometimes misunderstood. In the context here, Paul is not talking about a calling for the elite. He's talking about the effectual call that has come to all of us who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, because Christ died for you, because you've been saved by grace through faith, therefore your life, how you use your time, how you use your talent, how you deploy the treasures that God has entrusted to you and how you share your testimony, all of those things should be used for the sake of the gospel. Paul says that our lives should look like Christ with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love and making every effort to keep unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That's how we live together in biblical community. Now, that phrase, 
contending for unity, making every effort to keep unity. I don't know that there could be a much more important thought for us in this moment because I believe the enemy is using everything that he possibly can during this era to pull us apart as God's people. It's interesting, isn't it? That Paul doesn't tell us that we create unity. That's created by the Holy Spirit that dwells in us and connects us to other believers. But what Paul does say is that we have to fight for that unity. A lot of you know the Southern Baptist version of Matthew 18 that says, where two or more are gathered, there are at least three opinions. And so it's in our nature as people to want to divide, to want to separate, to to get frustrated and to, to go into our own holy huddles. But Paul says one of the distinctive marks of the church is the ability for God's people to fight for unity and to be together. What draws us together? Well, it's one confession. A lot of theologians think this might have been an early hymn or confessional creed of the church. Just as there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope in your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, and through all. You see, the one thing that we have in common in Jesus Christ supersedes and is more important than all of the things that could potentially divide us. So don't forget that church in this era. Don't forget that in the era of social media when everybody's an expert with their own opinion and they air that out. I recently read an article where an author was talking about a summation of our different social media platforms. And he said, you know, Facebook, we try to put out there that our life is perfect. Instagram, we want our life to look like a quirky, you know, TV reality show. Twitter, basically the message is we're all going to die. And so if we get swept up in that, like the rest of the world, well, then we'll we'll reflect the values of the world. But instead, God's people together are united. Everybody on mission, everybody united by the Father, Son, and Spirit. But just because we're united doesn't mean that we're exactly the same. The second thing that Paul teaches us in this passage is is that everybody in the kingdom of God in the church should be actively using their unique spiritual gifts. You see, everybody in a church family is unique, just like each child in a family is unique. I have four children, three daughters, and a son, and they couldn't be more different. Our youngest, our son, is adopted from Nepal, and when we brought him home at 22 months old, Mike Glenn looked at me and my three beautiful daughters and said, you have three China dolls, and you just went and put a bull in your China shop. He could not have been more right. It's the best one sentence description of my family that I still give people to this day. Why? Because each of my children are wired uniquely. But as a parent, I appreciate each of them in their own way. In the same way, Paul tells us that when Jesus Christ conquered sin and death on the cross, when he won the victory, Paul quotes here in this passage from Psalm 68. It's a victory hymn, a victory cry. And he says, when Christ won that victory, instead of kind of keeping the spoils of war for himself, he gave to us, his adopted children, his church, gifts, specifically spiritual gifts, so that the church could mature and be built up. What a good God that we have, that he entrusted gifts to us. If you think about it, God doesn't need us to fulfill his mission. But instead, he's chosen us and given us the spiritual power and the gifts that we need to be a part of what he's doing, to share the hope of Jesus with the world. 
I hope that blows you away because it blows me away to know that God doesn't need me, but that God wants me to participate with him in all that he's doing. And so Paul tells us that it was Jesus, right, who gives us our gifts through the power of the spirit at the time of our conversion. And what are some of the gifts? Well, here's a listing of some of the gifts. There's other places in the New Testament where gifts are listed as well. But here he specifically talks about gifts that are about the word of God and helping build the church through the word. Some are called to be apostles in the broad sense, that's sent ones. Some are called to be prophets, who are those forth tellers who have the ability to clearly connect God's truth to God's people. Some are called evangelists. Those are those people who are gifted and called to connect with unbelievers and explain the gospel and make it clear and see a response. And some are called to be pastors or shepherds and teachers who use their shepherding and their teaching to build up the body of Christ. And why did he do this? Is it for our pride and our individuality? No, he did it for the sake of the body. And so our spiritual gifts aren't so much about propping ourselves up, but instead they are about building up the body of Christ. They are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to, to build up the work that God wants to do. And so if you believe the New Testament, you have to believe that God has given every church all that it needs in order to fulfill its mission. So why do so many churches struggle today? Well, I want you to think about this illustration for just a moment of a sports team. Let's take our beloved Tennessee Titans, for instance, who won a great victory after a couple of weeks of frustration and battling this virus on Tuesday night to defeat the Buffalo Bills. But let's take the Titans and let's imagine that they are given the best of everything in the National Football League. Let's imagine that they have the best coaching staff, the best free agents. They draft the best rookie class. They get all of the high draft picks. Let's imagine that they even have the best facilities and the best stadium. They have everything that they need to succeed. How would you still get the Tennessee Titans to lose every single football game? Well, it's simple, right? You put the players out of position. You take the punter and you put them in on the offensive line to block for the quarterback. You take the kicker and you, you try to make him the quarterback. You take the big burly offensive lineman and you, you put him in at wide receiver. The team wouldn't win a single game. Why? Because all of the players are playing out of position. And you see, that's what happens in the church when we're not participating in the mission, when we don't know our spiritual giftedness, when we don't know our identity in Christ and we're not plugged into the body. We're playing out of position or worse yet, we're not playing at all. So it's vitally important that you know who you are in Christ, that you discover your spiritual gift as you serve in the local church, and that you use that gift to fully participate in what God is doing in his kingdom. In a church where everybody's on mission, everybody knows and is actively using the spiritual gift. And last but certainly not least, everybody is growing in unity and maturity. It says, in verse 13, the goal is this, that we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by the fullness of Christ. That is our standard, the fullness of Christ. So we're not called to compare ourselves to the guy sitting in the pew next to us or the person sitting on the couch next to us at home. We're not even called to measure ourselves to our ministers or our pastors or that celebrity teacher that you love to listen to online. 
Instead, our goal is to look like Christ. And when we look like him, right, then we're not immature any longer, like a child who is is tossed back and forth by every single idea that comes along. No, instead, the mark of maturity is this. I love this in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we grow in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ. What a great example of maturity. Because let's be honest, there are those of us out there who love the truth, right? But it needs to be seasoned with love. And there are those of us who really love people, but we have a hard time telling them the truth. The mark of a mature believer is that they can literally truth in love. And in doing so, we grow together. We grow together just like a healthy body. One of the things that's so compelling to me is that I, as the pastor of the church at Station Hill for the last 10 years, have had a front row seat to watch God build a body of believers on mission together from scratch. And so I can look at these words and I can tell you from firsthand experience that they are true. That when people have stepped up to the mission, gifts have been deployed, people have been brought to our church at the right time for the mission that God had for the people that he wanted us to reach. And it's a breathtaking thing to watch take place. And I think one of the greatest tragedies in the world today, especially in our churches, is to see people who Christ has entrusted with spiritual gifts and spiritual power sit on the sidelines. A little illustration of this comes from our own family. Years ago, right after coming to Middle Tennessee, when our girls were young, we were going to attend the Franklin Christmas Parade with another family in our church, the Cook family. And so my buddy John got online. He looked at the website. We were trying to figure out where to sit and where the parade route was. And he called me and he said, hey, Jay, I was clicking around on the website and I discovered something. And I said, what's that, John? He said, hey, you know, it doesn't cost anything to actually enter the parade. And I said, okay, what's your point? And he said, I think it would be really fun to be in the parade. And I was like, okay, well, but John, don't you have to have like a float or something? He goes, I got a flatbed trailer. We could throw some hay and the girls on it. I said, okay, but like, don't people spend a lot of time decorating their floats? And he said, well, I've got a few strands of battery operated Christmas lights. And at this point I was, wheels were turning for me. And I said, well, don't they usually have, you know, stuff they throw out? And he said, well, yeah. Do you guys have any leftover Halloween candy? Because we do. And so we loaded up our girls on John's flatbed trailer with some leftover Halloween candy and some cheap flashing lights. And we entered the Franklin Christmas parade. Now you would have thought our girls were over the moon with this opportunity as they're riding by, as their friends are seeing them and they're waving and our girls just are waving back, just so excited and throwing candy. And you hear people cheering. I have a video recording of this as we're going around the square in Franklin, people are looking at the floats and some guy was like, Hey, Nashville predators as a bunch of the hockey players were on a float right behind us was the marshal of the parade. I think it was Leanne Rhymes that year. Hey, Leanne Rhymes. And then you hear this guy go, hey, random people on a float. We had a blast. And what we learned was an important lesson. What's more fun than going to a parade? Being in a parade. And it's become a family tradition for us. We've done most years since. Why? Because it's always better to be a participant than a spectator. And that's the calling that God invites us to to be a part of what he's doing in this world, to be disciples who make disciples and multiply disciples. 
Today, I pray that you would be willing to take that step to say, I want to be on mission, to reach the people in my neighborhood, to reach the people in my community. There's likely something that God has put deep down inside of you that moves you deeply. What's something that's broken in the world, something that he's calling you to do something about, as our worship team sang about earlier today. So whatever that thing is, let's pray and let's take that step together to be full participants on mission with what God is doing in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. We have a God who's not only saved us from our sin, but a God who has saved us to a plan and a purpose as part of his mission. So today, would we all take that step of discovering who we are in you, discovering our gifts that you've entrusted to us, so that together, unified, we would be the body of Christ to a world that desperately needs the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Now, here is your chance to take a next step today. If you are watching this with us at home, we want you to text the word DISCOVER to 623623. Our team is gonna follow up with you about our discover process. We have a couple of classes that teach you how we function together as a church and help you identify what God has put inside of you that you can contribute to the mission. So again, text that word discover to 623-623 and one of our team will follow up with you as soon as possible. If you're here on campus, find us at the Next Steps area in the atrium and we can't wait to connect with you. So church family, thank you for the privilege of being with you today as we as a church are in a group on mission every day together as a church family. You are loved and you are sent.